Welcome back to another episode of the Slam Podcast. Um, my name is Matt Chivers. Um, again, uh, I'm joined by Matt Coles this week, and it's you might have to forgive us for feeling a bit jaded and a bit tired. Um, we were at the Open all week from... Well, we, we, I was there at this point last week for already a couple of hours. I was so excited to get to get to Hoylake. Um, the Open is quite a special tournament to me and to loads of people, uh, obviously Matt included. Um, just on a quick note, um, obviously the Slam podcast is sponsored by Callaway and Callaway are running a limited edition July major staff bag and head covers competition. Uh, so that's a limited edition July major staff bag and head covers. Um, so that's a driver head cover, a fairway wood head cover and a hybrid head cover. Um, and you can find all about that on our website as well. And it's running until the 28th of July, I believe. So that's, what day is that? That's, is that Friday? That is Friday, yeah. Friday. So you've still got your chances to win that um, for the next few days. Just head to the NCG website or even the Callaway um, Twitter as well. It's all on there. So, um, yeah, so we'll crack on with with the Open. Um, how are you feeling this morning, mate? Yeah, it was a long, long seven days, wasn't it? Mm. Um yeah, no, not too bad. Obviously, you know, first open as a in the media center, and um, yeah, what an experience it was. Yeah, certainly, um, it was my first open working at. I've, I've been to five. I think that's my fifth one now. I went in two thousand eleven, um, around the corner, one well, around the corner, about twenty minutes from my house in Dover at St George's, and then um, I went into Oil Lake in two thousand fourteen. I went to Birkdale, and then I went to St George's again in twenty twenty one. So. I do love the Open. Um, had you been to the Open before before this week, last week? Yeah, yeah, I done. I did Birkdale as well um, in seventeen, I think it was, because um, obviously that's you know half an hour from where I used to live, you know, mm-hmm. just, just outside Manchester. So um, yeah, so I did Birkdale, um, but this was the first time I'd been there, you know, all all week and, and getting to soak up the atmosphere, um, and it was uh, yeah, it was just incredible. Yeah, um, I mean. The, a couple of the previous days, it was there was sun. Um, there was a bit of there was a bit of light in the sky. Um, managed to watch go out and watch a bit of golf, didn't we? As well as working. Um, so some days weren't that bad, but the w- weekend Saturday Saturday was better than expected. But then it all came on Sunday, yesterday when um, the cricket was a washout, and if if golf wasn't the sport it was, that would have been a washout as well. But. Um, yeah, it wasn't very pleasant, was it? It was. It, it made it made the atmosphere, I think, die a bit, um, and it wasn't. Although the spectators still turned out in their thousands, it was just over a quarter of a quarter of a million people over there across the week, which is incredible. Um, but the, the rain, the rain never helps any, any, any in any context, does it? No, no, not in any sport, um, especially in. Such an outdoor sport as golf is, you know, you know, you get football stadiums, rugby stadiums, cricket stadiums, even that have got you know covers on and uh, above the stands, but you don't really get that in golf. And um, so, yes, I think Sunday definitely saw a lot of people flocking to the to the bars and the, uh, mm. and the food outlets um, just to try and get away from the rain at, at any point. Um, but yeah, it definitely didn't dampen the the level of golf that was played over the weekend. That's for sure. No, it's fantastic. Um, I remember on Sunday morning, I sort of woke up in our work apartment in town um, in Liverpool, and the rain was smashing down, and you you you, you did sort of think, God's like, by the sounds of the rain, it it was it was very um, 
it was very concerning. But as we sort of experienced in the media centre as well, I think the sound of rain on like roof <laughs> and cover it does exaggerate how bad it is. Yeah, I mean, completely right. I mean, especially with the wind that seemed to be gusting mm. through the the media centre tent as well. Especially just after play had finished, it, it felt like we were going to take off um, at one <laughs> yeah. point. Um, but yeah, no, we, I mean, we took we both went out onto the course for a bit. I know you followed the I think the final group for the first six or seven holes, um, and yeah, we got wet, but it, it wasn't to the point where it couldn't carry on. No, you know, no, it, was, it wasn't very easily playable conditions. Yeah, certainly. Um, yeah, as Matt said, I've managed to. We had each for our for NCG we had like a, a yellow press armband that you can use to get inside the ropes and walk round. Um, so I did that for seven and a half, no six and a half holes um, yesterday afternoon. Watching, I followed Harmon and Young. I was I was Brian Harmon and Cameron Young. I was tempted to join Rory and was it? I think it was Emiliano Grillo. Um, but I wanted to see the last group because basically it didn't matter what everyone else did. It was all about what Harmon did. Um, he, if he was going to blow out, that was any interesting variable of the last day, I think. And he very, he very clearly didn't. Um, he was absolutely sublime all week. Um, Saturday he was fantastic, um, and then Sunday he shot one under, I think, to seal the deal by six shots, which is an absolutely incredible um, achievement for the American who has grown to love's links golf since his Open debut at Hoy Lake in 2014. He's really grown to like it, um, which was shown at last year's Open when he came tied sixth. And then he came tied 12th, I believe, at the Scottish Open last week. So perhaps this performance might have been coming from um, the 36-year-old. But I don't think a performance that dominant was coming from from anyone, let alone Brian Harmon. No, and I mean, it it, it all kicked off really on Friday, didn't it, with that... um, You know, he was I think it was three clear going down the last on Friday and then eagled 18... And it made it a five-shot lead at the halfway stage. I mean, even at that point, having watched him, you sort of felt that no one was really going to catch him unless he made mistakes. Mm. Um, and both Saturday and Sunday, he had you know a couple of bogeys early, and there was sort of a few murmurs and gasps in the media centre. Everyone was a bit like, oh, "Hold on, mm. is this? You know, is, could this be the moment it starts to slip?" But his demeanour never changed. It was the same Brian Harmon throughout all four days. Um, and he was able to bounce back from, you know, those two bogeys early on on Saturday and then the same on Sunday. And he never really looked like being challenged either because no one really came from the chasing pack. No, it, it, he had it on a rope all week, to be fair. Um, you know, all the shot traces of every tee box, of every, of every approach shot, it was going at the fairway, at, at, the, at the green. I think he only found two bunkers all week, um, which certainly helped um, because the bunkers were a topic of contention, weren't they? Yeah, throughout the week. I mean, I think was it John Rahm that said that you know if you go into a bunker, it's basically a shot penalty. Mm. Um, and the fairway bunkers were you know lethal, brutal. Um, but that's what Lynx golf is about. It's about keeping the ball in the fairway. Um, even in the rough at times, because the rough was quite wispy and a bit a bit patchy. Um, this week at Hoylake. Um, but obviously that really came into play on, on Sunday in the rain, in the wet conditions. And mm. the rough did get very, very thick and, and juicy because um, of the conditions. But Harmon just, like you say, kept it on the fairways, kept it on the greens. You know, he was incredible with the putter all week um, and a very much a deserved winner of the Open Championship. 
Mm, I, I, Hannah, um, our colleague, um, did a piece called "What on Earth is Brian Harmon's Putter?" Because um, it's, it's a seven-year-old tailor-made spider putter, and after the third round, I think, yes, second or third round, mm. I I was in this press conference and I asked him. Um, I think it was might be on Friday. I asked him, "How come you've got such a strong affection for your putter?" Uh, with it being so old and with it being sort of looking different to a lot of modern putters. And, um, I mean, his, his stats show his stats show why um, he, he he kept it. He, he missed very few putts from inside 10 feet. Although he did say, um, referring to his putter as she, he said she'd been misbehaving recently. Um, I mean, but certainly not a role Liverpool. I was going to say. <laughs> yeah. She certainly was. I think was it after the third round, it was 44 of 44, I think it was, from inside 10 feet. I think he missed a couple on on Sunday, but I think that was to be expected. He was never going to go the entire championship um, being 100% from inside 10 feet. But like I say, I mean, even when he did miss putts like that, he then holed a 20-footer or a 30-footer mm. on the next, and it was like it, it never happened. And, and like I said, you know, there was no real challenge from the chasing back I think the closest it got was three shots at any point on Sunday um, and I don't really think that the American was I don't really think he was bothered by it all to be totally honest even the weather I don't think he was really bothered by that yeah um, he, he said in his, in his winner's press conference afterwards that it doesn't usually react well to rain um, so maybe in his own head he had, he had his own concerns but from certainly from the outside from our point of view it didn't look like he. It didn't look like he. He was ever. He was unflappable. He was absolutely unflappable. Like he got down. He got down to three shots, but that's still a lot. And then I think it was Ram that got to within three shots. And then you're running out of holes. And then if you're still three shots behind, you've still got to make loads of birdies. You've got to be sticking it tight. Um, and I think the conditions showed on his last day that it was very hard to chase. It was very hard to chase. It was ideal for Hartman, really. He overcame early birdies again, as he did on Saturday. Uh, early, early birdies, early bogeys on Saturday um, and Sunday. But did you think when he he bogeyed the second and another one? But did you did you really think he was ever going to wilt? I mean, on Saturday when he he dropped two shots early, I think it was two in the first four or five, and he came back to eight under. I think he was only ahead by two at that point. That was when I. That was probably the only time when I thought, "Oh, this might not be his week." Because I think he was zero for five um, on mm. thirty-six hole leads on the PGA Tour. Um, so that it was, you know, you maybe were thinking, "Oh, here we go." You know, he's, he's leading again after thirty-six, but here comes the, you know, the falter or however you want to describe it. But yeah, Sunday, I just thought, you know, he had that steely look on his face completely determined like it was his to lose the carriage was in his hands mm. on on saturday night um and i think maybe if the, if the lead had been two or three then it would have been a different story but because he had five going into sunday he just never looked like he was going to lose it yeah it was a one-man show throughout um he's the third left left-handed winner of the open can you name can you name the other two phil is one obviously in 2013 um but this this came up as well in conversation during the week. Um, no, I cannot. It was Bob Charles. Um, I can't actually remember what year it was. I think it was a bit before my time. 1963. Well, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> just a bit, bit just time. a bit before your time. Yeah, that's that's almost for my dad's time, let alone my time. 
Um, although my dad still would have been 10 in 1963 when, um, <laughs> when Bob Charles won the Open as, as the first left-handed winner. Um, just to read a few other stats, Harmon is the 32nd winner of the Open from America, the 89th different winner of the Open, and his score of um, his score of 2-7-1 matched Rory's, Rory's score in 2014. It was only one behind Tiger Woods' record of 270 for Royal Liverpool in 2006. So it was it was a brilliant performance all round, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean there were there were many, many comparisons between the between the three the last three weren't there, and, and I think they all had the same um, score after um, two rounds. I think it was one thirty two. I think, um, but Rory and Tiger were both twelve under um, because mm-hmm. one of the holes was a par five then, and it was a par four this week. Um, so Harmon was ten under. But yeah, there were many comparisons between between the three victories, um, and like we keep saying, you know, Harmon just. He never looked like he was gonna. You never looked like he was gonna lose. Unflappable was the word you used earlier, and that's mm. a very good way of describing it. Um, and to be fair, he didn't really let out much emotion on the 18th either. I don't know whether it sunk in by that point or, or whatever. It was just a little fist bump, um, you know, hug with the caddy, and then a few, I think maybe a few tears came out when he got hold of the claret jug. Um, but he just seems a very steely, like you say, unflappable character. Um, I mean, if a man can perform like that under those conditions, under those pressure, under that pressure, sorry, you know, it leads very well to another big performance for an American on European soil, possibly at the end of September. Certainly. Um, And I didn't really, I didn't really um, enjoy some of the, well, you got the odd, you got the odd boo here and there, I think. I don't think... I think I've seen it emphasized more than it than than was actually real. Um, he got the odd boo and the odd comment. I think he, he he said that someone said to him, "You haven't got the stones for this," which motivated him. And he said, "If you don't want him to win, then be nice to him," which I found quite funny. <laughs> um, so he so he did receive the odd comment because he was playing against the fan favourites of McElroy and Fleetwood. Um, and that was what, and that was what made Harmon even more impressive, I think, because he he soaked in the rain, he soaked in not hostility, but he, he knew he, he knew he wasn't the one that people wanted to wanting to win. And I think you sort of saw that in the last round because when I was managed to follow them inside the ropes on the certain greens, spectators at the Open have never had it so easy to watch the final round in a major. Um, I know the the rain didn't help that, so a lot of fans were undercover. But still, I it, I don't know. I, it was obviously a major because it's the Open, and I love the Open. But it didn't have the electric major feel, and that was a combination of all things—a combination of his dominance and a combination of the weather as well. Yeah, I mean, I think the weather definitely put pay to that. I mean, I I think it was it was around about lunchtime, so uh, yeah, it was before the leaders had teed off, and the queue for the for the shop was was huge because I think people just wanted to go inside. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously there would have been some like, oh, it's my day at the open. I want to see what I can get. But I think quite a few people just wanted to be inside and undercover. Um, it was very much a day for full waterproofs, hats, umbrellas. Um, but yeah, I think the fact Harmon also played with Fleetwood in round three on Saturday, you know, they were the leading pair. Um, and he did say then that he, he had a few comments that were... Um, Unrepeatable, I think he said in his press conference after yeah. after Saturday evening, um, which you know it's not something you really hear in golf. Maybe maybe at the Ryder Cup, maybe as you know, because you've got the team element to it. 
Um, but I think, you know, he dealt with everything, like you say, the weather, the conditions, the, the course itself, and the fans brilliantly. Um, and yeah, you mentioned, you know, being easier to follow the last group. Obviously, you mentioned, you know, three home favourites in Matthew Jordan, Rory McIlroy and Tommy Fleetwood um, were, were out in, in the groups before. And I think that also probably helped him a little bit. I mean, the fact mm. it wasn't, you know, the major... If he'd have been out with Rory maybe on the last day, maybe something, you know, he may have crumbled a little bit more than he did. But even so, I think the lead he had, I think he was shooing from the off, really, on Sunday morning. Yeah, certainly. Um, I absolutely... I'm, I'm, I'm a bit obsessed with Matthew Jordan, actually, if I'm honest. Because um, I saw him... <laughs> I, saw him at West, I saw him at West Lanks at final open qualifying. And he just played so good, so well. He just played so well, playing with Garcia and Donaldson. And he absolutely outscored the pair of them at, at, um, off the planet. He was absolutely brilliant. He played so many great shots, dealt with pressure. And he clearly deals with pressure. I don't get... I, I know it, it was a massive help for him to be at Hoylake. I mean, for, for someone like him, who's outside the world's top 300, well, he was before that week anyway, to be coming tied 10th at, at an Open. It is no coincidence that he was at Hoylake. He's where, of course, he's been at since the age of seven. But you've still got to play golf shots. You've still got to, you've still got to work your way around. And he outperformed the world's best players. And I love the footage of him going into, going into the um, clubhouse and seeing all his friends and family and all the members and having hugs them and drinks with them. I just thought, you know, what a proud moment. He came tied 10th. He rolled in that birdie putt on, on the last hole. And um, the way he takes his hat off to the crowds and he took his hat off when he hit his opening tee shot. Um, I, th- I thought the whole week for him was just was was brilliant. And I don't think he could have imagined. He couldn't have imagined. I mean, yeah, I don't think he could have, he could have imagined doing that well coming coming in, in in the top ten. I think that would have surpassed his expectations quite significantly. Yeah, and of course, like you know, you say the opening tee shot. He had that in, that emotional moment at six thirty on our Thursday morning you know, like like Darren Clark did when the open went back to, to Port Rush in, in twenty nineteen. Um and he t- he soaked it all in. You know, he, he had the the honour of that first tee shot. He was, you know, somewhat I think he would have been more in contention had Harmon obviously not been so far so far away in the last couple of rounds. But yeah, to to sink a birdie put knowing that, you know, if you finish in the top ten you'll be back at the open next year mm. um shows that he's got the stones. Yeah, um, yeah, certainly. <laughs> the, the fans maybe thought Harmon didn't. Um, but yeah, tied tenth and, and back at the Open next year doesn't have to worry about qualifying. You know, rankings, points, some good money coming in as well for, for prize money. Um, it's been an incredible week for the lad, and, and you mentioned that that footage is just you know an emotional week all in. And I think uh, a lad like Matt Jordan definitely deserves everything he gets after that. Oh, certainly. Um, after. He played at West Lanks um, in open qualifying. He he said afterwards, uh, after making the five spots, one of the five spots, that he didn't want to make this experience go to waste. He wanted to make the best of a home, of a home um, open, and he's up to two hundred third now in the official world golf rankings. And I sort of we've I've seen him play golf twice now in the space of about two weeks, more than I've seen of him ever previously. Um, but you, you, you just sort of sit, sit and think if he's playing like this, like why is he not winning all the time on a DP World Tour? He's never won on a DP World Tour before. 
Um, he's 27, I believe. So he came tied 10th this week. He came tied 9th at the Scandinavian Mixed. Um, and that is his last top 10. So, he, so coming into the Open, he only had one top 10 on the DP World Tour this year, which I just find in, in, incredible. Um, so I'm hoping this... I'm hoping this week kickstarts another year for him, and I think there'll be so many more people now following his following his his story, and certainly, um, yeah, just just following his progress. Hopefully, he can kick on. Yeah, and I mean, I think you know the fact it was at home, the fact he was able to you know be in surroundings he knows probably did help him this week. You know, no matter no matter what the pressure was, um, I think that definitely helped him. But you know. It can help all you want. You've still got to play in the, under the conditions. You've still got to play the golf course. And he did that brilliantly. Certainly. There were a lot of... In terms of course, Matt Jordan's home course, um, a lot of controversy was made of the... Well, a lot of comment was made of the 17th hole. Um, and it's a tricky par three, a very short par three. Um, one that split opinion... Um, a lot of players described it as a lot of players described it as interesting, uh, tricky. Um, but there were a lot of other comments that suggested that it wasn't a fair hole, that it it effectively sort of had a, was was a stain on Royal Liverpool. Um, in terms of my opinion of it, having sat behind it as a spectator hole, it was absolutely amazing. Like with with the with Wales and. The water in the background, I thought it was absolutely amazing. Um, and I think I saw a few comments that that were true on Twitter. I think they took with that design of that green, they took the pin out of play, meaning that all the players should have been doing or were doing was just aiming for the, the middle of the green, and that in effect means that it doesn't matter where the pin is. So I suppose that. The dynamic of aiming for a pin, aiming for, like pin hunting, that wasn't possible on that hole. There were bunkers around um, with a big drop off at the front of the green, and I thought I thought it was a brilliant hole. I don't think it was tricked. I don't think it was poorly designed. Um, I don't know what your thoughts on are of it. I mean, I, I'm, I'm with you. I thought it was a great hole, and it, and it proves that you know. You don't have to have par threes that are 270, 280 yards in length like we saw at, at LA Country Club, you know. Um, and a few of the players that I spoke to this week were more than happy with the short par, par three. You know, you look at the postage stamp, you look at uh, the 17th at Sawgrass, you look at the stadium hole at um, TPC Scottsdale. You know, it's shorter par threes seem to bring both the fans and the atmosphere and, you know, the, the excitement and the worry for the players um, instead of, you know, having to rip a three iron or a four iron to a lengthy par three, mm. they're having to hit wedge, or, you know, up to seven iron, I think, with the wind against at times. Um, but it was, I, I thought it was an incredible hole and, and I dis, dis, disagree completely with, I think, was it Pete Cowan that said it mm. was a, it was a career wrecker or, you know, you know, or something like that. And I think that's just, that's, there's there's overselling something and then there's overselling something, um, and I think that was a step too far. Um, but you know, you look at I think was it Lucas Herbert on the first day three under and leading at that point makes a six finishes level par for the day. 
Matt Fitzpatrick had his struggles there. Tommy struggled on the last day with a six. Um, but it was one of those holes that you played it well and you arguably got a shot on the field. Certainly. And it's been since been reported by James Corrigan of the Daily Telegraph that um, Royal Liverpool is set to radically overhaul the controversial 17th hole after criticisms from players, caddies and even the club's own members. There are, there's a significant chunk of the membership at, at Hoy Lake that doesn't like the hole. Um, so that is, is, is very interesting. Um, and in, and it's a bit of a, I mean, whether that was planned, how long that was that planned for? Um, it's it's another U-turn um, after a U-turn, a bit of a U-turn by the RNA, really, because the bunkers on the Thursday, there was a few complaints about them, how um, the design of them weren't allowing balls to come back into the middle of the of the bunkers, into the middle of the sands, which were absolute carnage on the 18th when McElroy took two shots to get out of one. Um, Tony Finau was putting into the middle of one. Uh, Justin Thomas was just ruined by one on the 18th as well. Yeah, he went from bunker um, to bunker, didn't he? And, yeah. And, nine. and certainly, so in terms of the, in terms of this sort of decision by the RNA to alter the way in which the bunkers were prepared for the second day of play, I don't know what to think of it because bunkers are obviously meant to be penal and for the majority of the time on PJ Tour events, bunkers are not penal. Like... If you go for a par five and two in a, in at a, a standard PJ Tour venue, you're not bothered about going in the bunker because they'll just splash you out and get a birdie. So, is there a case of players being spoiled in that sense that when they come to Hoylake last week and they can't just do that? If you go for the 18th and two at Hoylake, you might get a bad line of bunker. Well, that's the risk you take, isn't it? Um, so, what 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 would your thoughts on the on the sand traps at, at Hoylake? Yeah, I mean, I could understand why the RNA took the decision overnight, Thursday into Friday, I think it was. Um, but I think a little bit was also possibly because of the inclement weather that they were expecting. Um, and, you know, those bunkers were hard, hard enough as it was, but, you know, you get wet sand in there and it would have been, God, it could have been anything. Any scores could have been taken on 18, you know, if you're right up against the face of a bunker a flat bunker as well and you can't get the club through it so um I, I do understand why they did it and, and to be fair we still saw some some shockers throughout the rest of the week you know uh, after that I mean Scheffler's uh bunker shot on the Friday on 18 which landed you know a couple of feet from the bit actually hit the face of the bunker yeah. um and that was the putt that obviously then saw him in and he you know he had a little sarcastic celebration uh, with the crowd which was was quite enjoyable um adam scott had a couple where he hit the face you know and then we saw obviously jt on the opening days just um that was a bit of a shambles for him really and it's not been a good year for him but you know i think it was a chip on the first or second wasn't it where he was just trying to go around the side of the bunker and yeah knocked it straight in and that was the start of a an awful day and i think it was an 82 for him um mm. But yeah, I know. I thought the bunkers were absolutely—it's what you expect of a Lynx course. Um, you can't come to a Lynx venue in the UK and not expect some form of penalty if you go in the bunker. You know, mm. on the fairway, it's it on the green. I, I there was there's one view. I I don't know if I sympathise with it or not. When people say, "Well, don't go in them," then and <laughs> Brian Harmon literally didn't go in them. He went in yeah. two and he won the Open by six shots. So that was clearly that was clearly a um, an advantage to him by avoiding all of them, but 
I've, I, I believe with bunkers in general, we've just talked about bunkers in general, fairway bunkers, I think, in my opinion, should always offer the op- should try as much as possible to offer a shot forwards, at least, to offer a shot that you can advance. Um, again, I might just be being soft there because if you hit it into a fairway bunk, if you hit it into any sort of bunker, you technically should be penalised. But I think from fairway bunkers, you should have a chance to 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 get it out and forwards. I don't think there should be a place for high faced bunkers in the middle of a fairway, and I, I think I, I'd say that for links courses as well. Um, I think you should be able to at least advance it forwards. Whereas greenside bunkers, I think that's a different story. I think because they're closer proximity to the green. And you've only got a wedge in your hand and the, the pin's only a few yards away. I think high-faced, big-lip bunkers in that case, I think a fair a fair game. I just don't know about the fairway ones. But we saw the biggest trouble, the biggest trouble that we've just stated were from greenside ones. And I and again, I think that's I think that's fair game. Um and if you go into a a bunker at a Lynx course, you have to expect the worst, don't you? Yeah, no, and I, I, I do see where you're coming from there. I, I think, you know, we saw at times when, you know, like you mentioned Tony Fina putting backwards in the bunker to, so he could actually, you know, then advance um, from there because he wasn't going to get anything more than, you know, basically a flock shot out of the bunker. Um, Brian Harmon, even the first bunker he went in, which I think was on Friday, um, you know, he chipped out backwards from the bunker put it to 20 feet with his necks and then somehow made par. You know, it's just, that was just the way he was playing all mm. week. Um, yeah, it was... It, I do see where you're coming from, that I think a fairway bunker should be less penal than a greenside bunker. Um, because they are essentially... A diff- you know, they're both sand, they're both hazards. But they are two very different entities. Um, yeah. Uh, and I think that maybe... Yeah, maybe it should be slightly different... I think there should still be lips on bunkers. Um, you know, I think was it Cam Smith at the Masters where he took three wood out of the bunker on eighth um, on the long par five and you know put it up to the green. I'm not saying that should be done in fairway bunker for sure. Um, there should be some form of lip, but you should be able to get at least you know six seven iron out um, and and get down. But you know, like we say, don't hit it in the bunker. You won't have that problem. Mm. I th- there were f- there's, there's always a few variables, always a few things that pop up. During during the open, or d- during majors as well, such as you know, get rules controversies, and you get you get things about the course that are con- controversial as well. Always happens at the US Open. One of the most contentious venues I can remember um, was Chambers Bay in 2015. Oh wow, yeah. Um, I mean, that was just that was just in, well, we could talk all day about that venue. But I, I, I love these I love these talking points about the golf course as well as the golfers. Um, that we talk about, there was the internal out of bounds as well, which which um, drove a lot of a lot of debates in such certainly in the NCG spaces as well as the rest of um, social media. Um, should we talk about Rory McIlroy? I mean, I thought you were leading me on to say, well, whether you thought the internal out of bounds was good or not. Well, there, talk but... about that if you want. I mean, I absolutely hate our internal out of bounds. All it stands for, I think, I think it, I think out of bounds should be. You know, you've hit it into someone's garden, or you've hit, you've hit it into a, a over a fence, into a field, yeah. out of the boundary of a golf course. I think that is out of bounds. H- hitting hitting your ball over a, a, a white line when there's another hole like fifty yards away. I don't think that's. I don't, I don't think internal out of bounds. I, I, don't, I don't get why it needs to be a thing. Mm. Well, I mean, I think well, obviously the internal out of bounds at, at 
um, High Lake is because of it's where the the practice ranges isn't the practice area is is that inside area between three and eighteen, um, or as it is for the members one and sixteen. Um, and obviously that was where all the shop the shop was and the patron centre and and so on. Um, so I, I kind of understand it for, for that because obviously if you've got members practicing on there, you can't be hitting it over there, you know, and and so on in in a you know a Saturday medal, let's say at, at Hoy Lake. Um, but I do think that they it could have been um, eradicated this week because there was so much space either side of you know three and, and eighteen. There was a good 30, 40, 50 yards um, right of right of where the out of bounds was on three. Before you got anywhere near, you know the shop or, or you know all the facilities that were on that side. But of course, that you know it's a challenge that all the golfers had to play with. You know, it wasn't like it was you know one rule for some, one rule for another. Mm. Um, we, you know, we saw Thomas Peters get a bit um, done in with that yesterday um, with the internal out of bounds on eighteen, and, and several players, you know, went out there at times. Um, Sammy Valamaki hit two tee shots out of bounds on eighteen yesterday and ended with a nine. Um, mm. But yeah, no, I think it could have been a bit less harsh. Um, but I do still think it, it obviously added that element of, you know, it, it still kept the championship somewhat alive coming down the last few holes because it it could have been a case of, oh, what if Harmon hits one out of bounds or, or even two out of bounds? Um, but yeah, I it's one of those where I think you could argue either either way and you could be there for a long time arguing it. Yeah, it, it, it did, it did add, add another variable. It certainly makes every hole each hole that it features on 10 yards, 10 yards narrow, doesn't it? Like the 18th, the third, um, I think the 16th as well featured it. So for, for if you're a player, it does make you feel like you need to hit it straighter. And I suppose, I mean, I, I, I don't like it at all in any golf course, but it, it does, I suppose, it does add another variable, adds another challenge of of the game. Um, you mentioned Thomas Peters there. Um, so he'll be absolutely sick. He'd have been absolutely sick to death for that out of bounds. So I don't know if anyone, if... If anyone caught up with our story, um, I hope you did. In the story that Steve Carroll wrote on NCG website um, yesterday, um, so he was a victim twice in the final round of thinking he'd, of thinking his ball had gone out of bounds, only to discover they were both still in play. So on the eighth, he sent his tee shot left, and officials believed it was out of bounds. He said he had to go back to the tee and hit it again, but the original ball was later found on the way up there. Um, having put another ball into play under under stroke and distance, he had to abandon his first ball and make a double bogey six. And then on the final hole, after his second shot found right rough close to the boundary, Peters didn't declare a provisional and hit it again. But he'd find his original ball inside the boundary line and have to abandon it. And then rule 18.3, um, section B says, if you don't announce a provisional and play a ball from where the previous stroke was made, that ball is is in play and under penalty of stroke and distance. So um, he said to you afterwards, he said to Matt afterwards, um, yeah, just didn't take the provisional. It's pretty stupid from my part. So it's one of those things, isn't it? It was a pretty bizarre thing. It was absolutely, it was Steve's food and drink, um, a, a big rule situation. But yeah, you saw Peter's afterwards. How did he, how did he appear after it? I mean, he was, I was the only one that actually wanted to speak to him because I think we, yeah. we were maybe one of the only you know, teams that actually clocked on to, to, to what had happened. Um, so, yeah, I think I was the only one there to speak to him. And he, and he walked in and he had, he had a bit of a wry smile on his face and he said, you know, oh, who, who is it that wants to speak to me after that load of obscene words? <laughs> um, 
So, as Brian Hammer would say, unrepeatable. Yes. Um, but yeah, so no, he, you know, he, he talked about it and he just said, you know, it was stupid from his part. Um, it was one of those things. Um, but yeah, I don't, you know, we know he's he's known to to snap a club. We know he's he he has a bit of a temper on the golf course, and uh, I don't think that helped him. But of course, it, you know, it would have been a lot worse had he been much further up and much further in contention because you know those. Well, let's let's call it you know four shots lost. You know, if you're talking, you're in the top ten. You're not just losing rankings, but you could be losing hundreds of thousands of dollars, um, and also your chance at winning you know the claret jug. So um, it didn't obviously make that. It didn't make much difference in in the final running order, but you know it's one that he will definitely want to try and forget very quickly. Mm, certainly, um, I think. We don't have to, to be fair, we don't have to talk about Roy McIlroy as such, but I want to do want to talk about is is the Ryder Cup um, because there was a lot of movement um, this week in terms of the team the teams team dynamics of both America and Europe. So I think we'll begin with America because um, I checked earlier and I don't think the rankings have changed just yet. Um, but Nosferatu, the absolute ranking god on on Twitter. Um, has said that Brian Harmon is projected to go to third in the US team rankings, um, having won his maiden major title. So that would put him behind Scheffler at the top and Wyndham Clark in second place. And it's such an interesting dynamic now with the American team because you've got two players, which at the start of the year, you would not have put them anywhere near you would not have put them anywhere near the team, the American team, in my opinion. I don't. I, I think that's fair to say. However, you've got now both of them in second and third place, having won the U.S. Open and the Open. So you've got Kepka, Schauffele, and Cantlay behind them, and the automatic six places, and then Zach Johnson chooses the other six. So I mean, this American team has had a massive shakeup. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you say two players you wouldn't have thought. I I could argue three because, of course, at that point, start of the year, we weren't sure whether live golfers were going to be involved. So that would discount Kepka as well. Mm. Um, you knew Scotty was going to be in there. Obviously, he's world number one. You know, he won you know millions of events in the space of about three weeks last year. You know, he was in incredible form. Um, so he was always going to be number one. Um, but I mean, you just look down that ranking. You know, Cantlay, Homer. Keegan Bradley, Jordan Spieth, Colin Morikawa, Cameron Young, obviously, you know, didn't didn't play his best yesterday. Um, you know, Ricky Fowler, you know, and then obviously you've got the talking point that is Justin Thomas. Um, it's, no matter how you put it, that is unbelievably strong. Certainly. Um, and it just removes the prospect of other people. It, well, it, no, it introduces the prospect of other people not making it. Um, so you've got Colin Morikawa and Ricky Fowler. I mean, Fowler's been amazing this this year, but he's projected to be 12th by the time the points are totted up from this weekend. Um, and then Sam Burns is 13th. Now, you mentioned him earlier. Justin Thomas is projected to be 14th um, after today's presumed points totting up. Um Justin Thomas, in my opinion, is is not a Ryder Cup player this year. N- no way. He you can't. He shot eighty two in the Open. He shot plus eighty um, 
at the US Open, and I, I really like Justin Thomas. I'm a massive fan of his game. Like he is, he is absolutely brilliant. He's obviously a two-time major champion. He won he won the USPGA last year, and I think we've discussed on previous podcasts that he has a brilliant uh, cohesion and uh, friendship with Jordan Spieth. So they would be a formidable partnership. And he's still 20, ranked 20th in the world. However, he's on the cusp of the FedEx Cup bubble. He's 75th in the FedEx Cup. And his last four events, five events, even six events, he's missed the cut of the Memorial. He missed the cut of the US Open, shooting in 81. Came tied ninth at the Travellers. Missed the cut of the Rocket Mortgage Classic. Came tied 60th at the Scottish Open. Missed the cut of the Open. And before, in, tied 65th at the PGA. Mr. Cut of the Masters, tied 60th at the Players. I mean, it's such a shame. This is not a Justin Thomas that we recognise. Um, but he's not he's not playing like a like a player that's going to help Zach Johnson win the Ryder Cup. No, he's I mean the phrase man out of form could not be more apt uh, right now. You mentioned that, you know, only one cut. I think I saw I saw a tweet, I think it was Cal Porter that's, you know, tweeted. In the majors this year, made cuts one round in the eighties two, um, incredible, and that shows like you know you say he won you know what is it now seven majors ago he won the PGA Championship you know what fourteen months um, and it shows how fickle this sport can be um, and how quickly it can it can change you know and then obviously you've got Brian Harmon coming coming the other way um, you know to win to win a major same with Wyndham Clark. Um, the problem is, I think you you still can't discount JT from turning up in his best when he puts the US team gear on. Um, and again, you partner him with Spieth, and it's just one of the best partnerships that the Americans have had in recent years by far. Certainly, um, the PJ Tour tweeted a few days ago, not tweeted, um, posted a story a few days ago that he had entered the three M Open. Um, he's committed as a late addition to his schedule. Um, because um, it's one that could determine not only his FedEx Cup future this year and his Ryder Cup selection. Um, he said the golf in Minnesota is obviously slightly different than here in Liverpool. By hitting a lot, I'm hitting a lot of good shots. I'm just making so many bonehead mistakes and crazy things are happening. I'll be fine, he said. I mean, not, I mean obviously he's going to be fine. Like he's not. He's he's not depressed. I hope, and he's and he's still an amazing player. He's still twentieth in the world, which is which I suppose is quite low for his standards. Um, but if he misses, I might be being a bit harsh and rushing to conclusions um, by saying that he shouldn't be on the Ryder Cup team. But it, say if he misses the cut again this week, I, I, I think he's I think he's unchoosable if he misses the cut again this week. I mean. <sighs> Yeah, I mean, so what? He's got there's two events left before the before the playoffs. Um, it's three M this week at, at TPC Twin Cities, and then I think it's the Wyndham next week at um, Sedgefield. So he's got two chances to get into. Is it the top seventy? I think make the FedEx St Jude. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think yeah, I think if he doesn't make that top seventy, you you just literally cannot choose him because um, obviously he then won't play for three weeks, possibly four weeks five weeks before the Ryder Cup. Because um, obviously he won't be in the FedEx and he won't be in the BMW and then obviously he won't be in the Tour Championship at East Lake. So these next couple of weeks I think are crucial as to whether he will play. But at the moment, I just can't see it happening. 
No, um, I think the only angle at the minute is his partnership with Jordan Spieth. And it would be a massive shame if Justin Thomas wasn't there. Um, I suspect that Zach Johnson might pick him. I, know, I mean, I know I just said he shouldn't be on it. But I suspect Zach Johnson would pick him. Um, unless things, as I say, got really bad. Uh, I mean, they're really bad now. But if, if things got really, really bad, um, then I think he's unchoosable. Um, but the angle is obviously with Jordan Spieth. They've got a great Ryder Cup record together. Um, if we look at the European side now, I mean, my word. So the projection in the minute, um, as I say, from the rankings god that he's Nosferatu on Twitter, he projects that it will be, after this weekend, it will be Rory, Ram, Robert McIntyre, Hovland, Hatton, Fleetwood as the six automatics. But Sepp Stracker, um, after coming tied seconds at the Open, is projected to go to seventh in the world points list. I mean, having also won the John Deere Classic recently, Sepp Stracker is certainly planting himself in Luke Donald's mind, isn't he? Yeah, I mean, again, I spoke to I spoke to Sepp uh, yesterday after after yeah. the round. Obviously, a tied two to T two finish at the Open. You know, following on from I think he was tied seventh at the PGA. Um, so easily his best year, and of course that that. Um, PGA Tour win at the John Deere earlier this month. It's been an incredible year for the Austrian um, and I just don't see how Luke Donald can't choose him um, even if he doesn't make the top six um, or the, you know, the top three in, in, in either side on the European and, and the World Point side. Um, I just can't see how he can't pick him because he's one of the most informed Europeans that there is right now. He's come second twice this year as well. Shot 62 at the John Deere Classic. I think that's easy to forget. Um, and he also lost in the playoff last year to um, Will Zalatoris as well. So there's lots to like about Sepp Stracker. I mean, he's, he's propelled himself into contention. He's just behind Fitzpatrick and Fleetwood in the projected rankings. Um, but with other players in the field, uh, for example, let's say Robert McIntyre. He didn't cover himself in glory again this week um, at the Open, having marginally lost out at the Scottish Open last week. Um, but he is currently in third um, in the European points rankings. Um, what would you say to Bob McIntyre? I mean, if he qualifies automatically, he qualifies automatically. But if he doesn't, how how would you assess his his performances, his year, um, as we're getting closer? Um, I, think, I think, again, it's been a very... Good year for for Bob. I think obviously that second at the Scottish Open, which was a little bit heart wrenching in, in the end. Obviously with the way Rory, you know, flew that two iron to just a few feet on the on the seventy second. Um, but I think he said in, in one of his you know mix zone interviews uh, this week at the, at the Open that he just he felt flat. He'd been on the road for five weeks and he was yeah. just he was pushing through to try and have a good week this week and. He wasn't actually expecting that much out of himself, so I think you could probably excuse him um, after that. Um, you know, a couple of weeks off, back to it, and I think Bob is is very much. Uh, I, I I would be picking him for sure, yeah. even if he wasn't making it. Um, if you think, you know, from over the last couple of years, you've probably got four places that are, are being, you know, that are open. If you think of Westwood, Stenson, Poulter and Garcia, who've all gone to, to live. Paul Casey as well, 
we've all gone to live golf. So and and as it stands, it seems like the European team won't feature any of the live golfers. Um, so you know you've those spaces are up for grabs, and someone like Bob McIntyre, like Sepp Straka, like Yannick Paul, um, they're playing themselves um, very much into contention for those for those places, along with the big guns of Rahm, McIlroy, Fleetwood, Fitzpatrick, Hovland, Hatton. Yeah. You know that that's the core group, and then you know if you think you've probably got what Rahm, Rory, Fleetwood. Hatton, Hovland, Fitzpatrick, Shane Lowry. Um, so then, yeah, then you've probably got five spaces. Maybe Justin Rose gets in again because he's not been he's not been in the best form, but he gives you that experience. He's very good in the Ryder Cup. So then you've probably got four spaces. You know, apologies if I've missed anyone obvious uh, there, but you know you've got the likes of Rasmus Hoygaard, Adrian Moronk. Mm. You know. Um, Torbjorn Olsson, you know, Alex Noren both been in it before. Um, but then you've got a Sepp Straka. Seamus Power could even be a, a late shout, you know. Um, there's a lot of good young European golfers that arguably deserve their chance. And I definitely think Bob is is one of those coming up um, in Rome. I think, which it seems, it seems to be like repeating ourselves sometimes on these podcasts, but the Ryder Cup is getting closer. So it's always it's on the tip of our tongues. Um, I think in, maybe next week or the week after, we need to we need to predict our we need to do a predicted twelve. I think maybe next week we should do a, predict, a predicted twelve team a twelve player teams. I think um, just so we can get a bit of vindication if we're right or wrong. I was going to say we um, can see who's better. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. I was going to say you, you weren't very happy with Yannick Paul, were you? Not this week, no, because. Um... Well, you, you you were very much in his favour of, of putting a, of having a few quid on him this week. Um, it just wasn't to be wasn't to be for him this week. But he was one, he was the only one of my five that didn't make the cut. Um, so I mean that's more on you, I think, than than Yannick Paul. Um, yeah, no, don't blame him. To be fair, yeah, it was it was a tricky week for everyone, and you know, obviously there was Brian Harmon, as we said, was um, by far and away the best, and I'd like to thank. One of our members of staff, Dan Murphy, for that tip, because mm. um, that that very much came off for me. Um, and as I go, I go away this week, so that that money will be very much um, <laughs> put put uh, put to you. So thank you, to Brian. Yeah. Um, put on yeah, various bars. Uh, no comment. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I definitely think we should do either next week or or the week after. Um, uh, maybe maybe two weeks time, because then that leads us into the FedEx Cup playoffs. Um, Certainly. In a couple of weeks' time, after two more, we've got two more weeks of PGA Tour, haven't we? Um, yeah. So yeah, we'll do it in a couple of weeks' time, and we will see who gets picked. Because obviously, it's I think is it mid September when it gets picked. It's usually the Monday or Tuesday after Wentworth, isn't it? I think so. Yeah, yeah. It's either at um, Wentworth or the day after or something like that. I think. Yeah, and that's the fourteenth to the seventeenth. So that's yeah. The, so that's two weeks before the Ryder Cup. Um, mm. But yeah, I mean, you, you've got your big names, which are bound to be in there. Um, but then, yeah, it's, it's choosing who will be the the next, you know, the other six um, on either side. That's certainly some fun we can have. And obviously, for those listeners, you can try and pick your own and, and see how close you get with your 20, 24, yeah. yeah. Bit, oh, God, you can tell it's a Monday morning. It's <laughs> yeah. a long week. 12 plus 12 was difficult there. Um, <laughs> Yeah, you can pick your twenty-four, and we'll uh, we'll see who comes closest. Yeah, yeah nice, sure. nice. Um, 
we'll wrap up, but I wanted to ask you what, having been at the Open all week, what what was your favourite part of it, or what was the most memorable part of it that you'll that you'll take away? Uh, I think one of the things for me is you know standing in the mix zone and being you know within touching distance of of Rory and, and John Rahm and you know idols, arguably legends of of the game, um, was was good. But also just the fact you know being able to just walk around you know Royal Liverpool with with the punters you know and and get that it, it you know that experience again and that that atmosphere because obviously you know it was what six years since Birkdale so that was the last time I, I'd been at the Open um, and I was at Wentworth a couple of years ago but it's a completely different ball game mm. um, you know um, but yeah I think that being able to be in and around the atmosphere and obviously where we were in the media centre was just off the second green so all we had to do was was walk outside and we could see the big groups coming through you know you get there half an hour before the big lots tee off and then as everyone comes down for Rory and for Tommy and so on. Um, but yeah, it was an incredible week and uh, I'm already looking forward to uh, Royal Troon next year. Yeah, certainly. Um, I, In terms of my, my perspective, I just love the Open in general. It's the best week of the year. Um, I'm a big football fan. I'm a big racing fan. I love I love it when Arsenal have big games. I love it when Cheltenham's on. But the, the, the Open is just, it's just different. Even when I'm not there, just sitting and watching it all day at home, just amazing. My favourite parts of it were just, I was like, just be, just being close to the players, being close to the chipping green, the putting green, being right there watching them. Um, you just can't beat it. Probably my favourite favourite part was was being was doing that feature. I was inside the ropes, which you can read on ncg.com, But being inside the ropes and following groups, walking around, um, having unfettered access to the fair, well, not to fairways, but to the holes. Um, it was something I was very sort of proud of, and like. It was um, it, it was a dream come true to be fair to do that. So um, I'd recommend it to anyone if you managed to get it to work at the Open um, to do it. It was absolutely fantastic. Mm. Um, so yeah, we've had the Open and um, this, the Deep World Tour takes a break this week. But is the is the Amundi Evian Championship at Evian Resort Golf Club in France? Um, and Alex Fitzpatrick will have a um, a, a keen a keen um, interest in that because his girlfriend will be playing. Um, so another major defending champion yeah. Brooke, Brooke Henderson. So we'll be looking forward to reviewing that next week, won't we? Yeah, I mean back to back majors for for Fitzpatrick and and his girlfriend, of course. And and of course, what a week it was for for him. You know, finishing. I think he finished one under par in the end. You know, had a bit of a stumble on the last day, but that was to be expected. It was his first major. Um, you know what a week it was. Beat beat Matt as well. So there'll be a little bit of. Uh, on that sibling rivalry, but of course, yeah, the Monday Evian, you know, major championship week on the LPGA and of course the LET. Um, and we'll be back um, next week to talk all about it. You're playing golf this week, aren't you? You're away. You're, you're getting I off am. for a few days. Yes, I am. I'm up in the northeast uh, this week. I'm playing up in, in Annick and, and Newcastle um, because what more do you want to do than a week of watching golf? You want to go and play golf. So, um, certainly. See if I can take all the tips I've learned. Um, I try not to do the Scotty shuffle because I'll probably break my break my <laughs> knee or pull my groin or something if I try to do that. Um, still confused, but having seen it up close and personal yeah, now, you know, yeah. it still amazes me how he's able to to do that. But you know, each to their own, and that's exactly what golf is. It's mm. you know, everyone has their own swing. Swing your own swing, um, and uh, but yeah, so I'll, I'll take a few days off and then traverse again on 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 Monday with yourself for, for uh, an Evian review and uh, all that's bound to come over the week in, in golf. So, yeah, you enjoy your golf. I'll enjoy 
working for another week. Um, cheers, Matt. Take care. Yeah, cheers, Matt. Pleasure as always.